Thank you, Brittany and worship team. It's wonderful to be reminded together that it's so not about us and so much about Christ in and through us. And I hope that truth comforts you all today as we, as we gather together. Why don't you bow in prayer with me before we dive into the message today. Lord God, thank you for your incredible promise. Thank you for your presence here with us. And Lord, whatever we bring with us today as we gather together in your name, Lord, I just thank you for this reminder that it's not I, but it's Christ. It's you, Jesus, through us. So Lord, no matter what anyone's going through here today, just remind them of your presence and your power in their life and that you will do it through them. Lord, give us the courage to just surrender to you and invite you to work in us and through us. Thank you for that promise. Lord, thank you for your word. Lord, I ask and pray that your word would be declared powerfully today. And Lord, I pray that um, you would take away the words of dawn and that your spirit would bring your words alive today in all of our lives. Teach us, lead us. We depend on you. And we pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen. So my name is Don Fraze. I serve as one of the pastors here, and it's my privilege today to continue our series on storyline. Now we get to the part in the big story of God where we get to what's a great title, which is promise. So a couple weeks ago, Bruce started with creation. Last week, Maureen took us to brokenness. And now today to the next chapter in the story of God, the beginning of promise. So, promises, promises. Probably for a lot of you, when we think about our culture today, you feel like all we ever do is hear promises, and all we ever face is the reality of broken promises. But before I get political here, it happens in every arena of life, doesn't it? For sure. Now think for a moment of a time when you were just really either hurt, ticked off, or upset because someone promised you something and didn't follow through. Tough, right? But now think of a time when you hurt someone because you either meant or didn't mean to, but you promised something that you didn't deliver and, deliver and it caused hurt in someone's life. I don't know what's harder for you, but that's really hard when you think about the people you've hurt or disappointed or sometimes even just really ticked off because you didn't follow through on a promise. Promises, promises. Now, what about God's promises? What about the promises that we read in Scripture? Now, when I was a kid, um, we sang this little song. It was usually like a campfire song. You'd have to be at least my age or older to remember it, probably. But the song went something like this. It was like, every promise in the book is mine. Every chapter, every verse, every line. Anybody remember that song? Anyway, we sang it, and we were like, yes, every chapter, every verse, every line, every promise in the book is mine. And then, of course, as we got older, we realized, ooh, actually, that's not true. <laughs> the scripture has many, many, many promises that were spoken to other people thousands of years ago in all kinds of different contexts and different ways. Actually, not every promise is mine. However, every promise does come from God. Sadly, I've met so many people, myself included at times, that have just be, really been messed up by the idea of, I read this promise in Scripture, I prayed it, I claimed it, I lived it, I desired it, and God didn't seem to come through. What's the deal here? Many, many times I've talked with people just broken over that. Just as often, 
we have people in our lives and often wonderful, well-meaning people. They could be mentors or people with prophetic giftings that will speak encouragements or even sometimes words into our lives. And it'll feel to us like, wow, a promise from God that I can hang on to. And then if it doesn't quite turn out the way we thought, it can be really devastating and heartbreaking and, and for some even faith-losing. And so, yeah, promises are wonderful, but promises can also be really messy and sometimes really hurtful and wounding. So, how do we deal with God's promises today? So, we're going to go there personally, but I also want to remind you that in this storyline series, when we're talking about the big picture of God, I'm also going to focus on how God is coming with a big promise. That yes, is personal, but it's also about his plan for all of his creation. You see, at the point we are in the story, uh, the creation has already basically turned their backs on God. Creation has already come up with their own political systems and their own religious systems. And yet God hasn't given up on his creation. In fact, God has a plan out of brokenness to bring a promise, to bring a way for him to redeem and save and call back his people. And so God's big plan at this point in our storyline series is to call a person and out of that person to raise up a nation and then have that nation be a testimony to the whole world about what a nation should be like that follows and serves the living God. Um, It's summed up well by um, this one author, theologian named Christopher Wright, who puts it this way. The call of Abram is the beginning of God's answer to the condition of human hearts, the strife of nations, and the groaning of, of brokenness of his whole creation is the beginning of the mission of God and the mission of God's people. So as we look at this big picture idea of promise today, we're going to look at the story of this man called by God named Abram. Now, if, you're, uh, if you have a Bible today, we're going to be going in the book of Genesis, following along in your phone, and these scriptures will also be up on the screen. But let's, uh, let's begin to meet this character named Abram in Genesis chapter 12. Now, God's about to call this individual from where he's living and say, I want to pick you up and have you move far, far away. Now, Abram is currently living in what today would be modern-day Iraq, which was kind of one of the cradle of civilization areas in the ancient world. And God is calling him to move from that area to a land that in that time was called Canaan, modern-day Israel. Now, if we look on a map, that doesn't seem like a very long journey. But in the ancient world, It was an incredibly long journey. It was a very risky and dangerous journey. And you can imagine at a time when no one could research their travels or prepare, have any idea of what was going to be at the other end, for you to travel and go somewhere was huge. It was was leaving family and everything behind. It It was almost economic ruin to do something like this. And yet this is what God was calling Abram to. So Genesis chapter 12, verses 1 to 3, here's the call. The Lord had said to Abram, Go from your country, your people, and your father's household to the land I will show you. I will make you into a great nation, and I will bless you. I will make your name great, and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and whoever curses you, I will curse. And all peoples on earth will be blessed through you. Now, isn't that one amazing promise? 
Not only was this promise amazing in the sense of what God was asking Abram to do, that we talked about already, leave what's known to you and go somewhere that you completely know nothing about at all. That would be huge. But then God makes this incredible promise of, hey, I'm choosing you. I'm going to bless you. In fact, I'm going to bless you to the point that anyone that you bless will be blessed and anyone who curses you will be cursed. Wow, that's huge protection from Almighty God. That's a huge personal blessing. But then it goes from personal to this mind-blowing kind of universal all peoples kind of promise where God says, I want to bless all peoples on the earth through you. It's incredible. Just try to imagine the scope of, from the, person, the personalness to this promise to the vastness or the universalism of this promise. How did Abraham deal with this? Now, you know, when I think of this huge promise and when I think of our lives and when now think of a time maybe when God called you to go somewhere or to do something. And it was a time in your life when you were just very, very specifically knew, yep, this is God. This is what God wants me to do. Now, maybe you didn't do this, but I'm guessing you did. If you were sure in your heart and in your spirit that it was God calling you, the assumption was then everything's going to work out. Everything's going to go well. Because if God's calling me to do this, then it's going to go well, Right? Okay, maybe you're much smarter than me, but I often made that assumption. Now, here's what happened to Abram. So, Abram gets to the new land, and you know what happens first? There's a famine. So, he has to go to Egypt for a while. And, well, in Egypt, um, he almost loses his wife, Sarai, and almost gets killed, but he manages to get back to the land. Then, when he gets back to the land, there's a huge family dispute between him and the nephew that he brought with him. And there's all this family drama, and it's horrible, and they end up splitting up and going to different parts of the land. So, gets there, <laughs> everything's going wrong. And then, after that, there was a war. And Abram had to get together everybody he could to fight this war. So, this was the welcome to the new land, welcome to God's leading and promise, and everything's just going so well. Well, maybe some of you can relate, because I've made that mistake many times in my life, thinking, if this is God, then everything's going to work out, and well, it doesn't always happen that way, does it? Well, God continues to call Abram. So after this first sort of crazy promise, lots of time goes by, and we'll pick up the story now in Genesis chapter 15. So the next time God speaks to Abram, he says this. After this, or some translations say after some time, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision. Do not be afraid, Abram. I am your shield, your very great reward. Now, there's a little, little bit of an interlude here where Abram has a bit of an argument with God saying, hey God, I haven't got any kids yet, so this promise of yours sounds really like it's not going to work. I've got another idea. And God says, no, no, I don't want your idea. I'm going to do this through you. So rest, Abraham. I'm going to do this through you. And then he says this in verse 5. So God, he took him outside and he said, look up at the sky and count the stars Indeed, if you can count them. And then he said to them, so shall your offspring be. Wow. Then verse 6, Abram believed the Lord and he credited it to him as righteousness. So here in this place, God gives just a crazy impossible promise. And yet Abram miraculously believes. And in fact, this verse says that because of this belief, he was, it was credited to him as righteousness. Now, what's interesting about this verse is that 
Fast forward ahead a long way to the New Testament. A new, the New Testament author James right, quotes this verse and basically says that it was at this moment that Abram became God's friend. It was at this moment where Abraham had faith and trust and an impossible promise to a God that was so huge and formed him. But it was in that moment of faith that the scripture says that Abram became God's friend. Isn't that interesting? What about our promise from God in terms of that kind of relationship with him? Did you know that we also, as followers of Jesus thousands of years later, have a similar promise? There was a time when Jesus, um, right after his resurrection, was appearing to his different disciples. Now, one of the disciples hadn't seen Jesus yet, and so he doubted. That was the disciple Thomas, famously known as Doubting Thomas. But when Jesus did appear to him, he said these famous words in John 20, 29. He said, because you have seen me, you have believe, believed. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. Blessed are you, all of you within earshot of what I'm saying today, if in faith you believe in Jesus, even though you haven't seen him in that way, but you've experienced him, Jesus says you're blessed. You have that friendship, blessing of God, and can join Abram in being commended for your faith. So just take that encouragement from God. Even, even if you feel like your faith is this minuscule today, that's still God's truth to you. If you believe in Jesus, no matter how much you're struggling, no matter how many million doubts you have, if you're still following, God looks at you with favor and says, you're my friend. And just, just receive that favor from him today. So, Abram, God's friend, believing this crazy promise. Well, more time goes by. Let's pick up the story now in chapter 17 of Genesis. Starts out, verse 1 says, When Abram was 99 years old, he's lived the whole life, 99, the Lord appeared to him and said, I am God Almighty. Walk before me faithfully and be blameless. Then I will make my covenant between me and you and will greatly increase your numbers. Abraham fell face down, and God said to him, As for me, this covenant is with you. You will be the father of many nations. No longer will you be called Abram, you will be called Abraham. For I have made you a father of many nations. I will make you very fruitful. I will make nations of you, and kings will come from you. Seriously? At 99... Abram has God come to him with this amazing promise of this covenant saying, your descendants are going to be so great, they're going to be kings, and you don't even have one kid yet. It's, it's incredible. 99 and no children. Now, his wife, Sarai, is like 90. Now, I can't get into the ancient history here of how aging was different at that time, and that could be controversial. But anyway, either way, this is all really impossible. <laughs> now, what's interesting is you keep reading... God makes the promise to Abram to say, in a year from now, you're going to have a child. And then separately to Sarai, his wife, that in a year from now, you're going to have a child. They both laugh. They kind of try to deny it, but God says, no, you laughed. And so then a year later, when their first son is born, Isaac, it means he laughs. And so even by the names, God was having a lot of fun with all of this. But what happened to, to Abram and Sarai was... God changed their names to go along with this promise. So Abram meant exalted father, 
But now Abraham means father of a multitude. And Sarai meant princess, but now her name was going to be changed to Sarah, which means princess of the multitude. Now, at first, that might seem like, oh, wow, God's really honoring them. Perhaps. But can you imagine being old and childless and having to walk around with names that everyone knew this is what this meant? It was like God was making them live out their faith in this prophetic action kind of way, and it was probably really hard and at times really humiliating. But they were called to live out this faith. So what are you thinking about God's promise so far? This grand plan that he's going to call this person, um, create a nation through them, and then have this nation be a testimony to the rest of the world of what it's like to follow God. This plan seems to be getting off to a really slow and desperate start. Um, one, one author by the name of Alan Brown um, put it this way. He said, the goal of this earth-shattering project was that the nations would see the blessing they were missing. The blessing of a divine ruler, so that eventually the blessing of the divine rule would be restored to the nations. Abram's descendants were to be the servants of Yahweh, restoring by example the kingdom of God on earth. That's the big picture plan. At this point, Abram and Abraham now and Sarah have a big faith promise and one kid. That's where we're starting, with this, with this grand, grand promise. Now, you would think that at this point, like 100 years old, you'd think that God would leave the poor guy alone. Like, Abram, Sarah, you've been faithful. Just live out the rest of your days. Good for you for having so much faith to believe that this is going to happen later. It's all good. Just be at peace. Well, if you know the story, some of you do, I know, there's even a bigger test yet ahead. And that, that test happens in chapter 22. So Genesis 22, and we can't un unpack this whole story, but just a little bit of it because it's a huge test for Abraham and Sarah. So chapter 22 says, sometime later, God tested Abraham. He said to him, Abraham, here I am, he replied. Then God said, take your son, your only son, whom you love, Isaac, and go to the region of Moriah. Sacrifice him there as a burnt offering on a mountain I will show you. What? Now, if you're not familiar with this story, let me put you at ease. God does not have Abraham sacrifice his son. Yahweh, the God of Abraham, was not a God that condoned or believed in human sacrifice. Now, sadly, in ancient culture, human sacrifice was a big part of many, many world religions. The significance of Yahweh and what he was communicating was a very different God, a very loving God. However, in the context of ancient history, this all gets really messy, and that's not really the point today. But again, I just want to calm your fears. God didn't have him do that. But it was even a huge test for God to put this idea before him. So why would God do that? Why would God ask Abraham to sacrifice or surrender the one little shred of evidence he had to believe this grand promise. And that, that's exactly what God did. So as I thought about that, I reflected in my life. I encourage you to reflect in your life. Can you think of times when you felt like God was asking you to lay aside or surrender something that was really, really important to you? Maybe something that even identified who you were as a person, 
and you felt like God was saying, I want you to surrender that and set that aside because I'm calling you here or to do this or to use your life in this way. I have a sense that a lot of you have gone through that in different ways. That's really, really hard. Really, really hard, you know. I, I'm sure for some of you, you, you had, perhaps you had a great dream of what you thought your life would be like, what, um, perhaps what your career was going to be. Um, perhaps some of you had just worked so hard in your life on a certain skill or talent that even, even somewhat defined your identity. And you thought, these were the things that God was going to use. This was the life, the plan that God had for me. And then if for whatever reason, in your journey, God said, hey, I want you to, I want you to set that aside and trust me. I want you to surrender that and trust me. Oh, so hard. And you know, sometimes when people share these stories with me, they say, you know, God surprised me. You know, and years later, that whole part of me, God allowed me to pick it up again and use those gifts or use that part of me. But you know, there's other times where just by faith, we have to say God knew best that my life would go best and he would use me best this way. And yet, oh, so difficult. And yet God is, is testing Abram to, and Abraham now to a point that's just really, really deep, really, really messy, and really, really hard. And yet Abraham is described in Scripture as a hero of faith because even with this little shred of evidence in an entire lifetime, he believed and trusted God. Now the final Scripture I want to look at is... Uh, kind of a summary story of Abraham. It's found in the New Testament in, the, in a book called Hebrews. And the writer of Hebrews, um, in chapter 11, writes this whole entourage of the heroes of the, of the faith. And one of them is Abraham and, and Sarah. And I just want to read the part about Abraham from Hebrews chapter 11, verses 8 to 16. And it's kind of a summary or a context of his life. So Hebrews chapter 11, starting at verse 8, says, By faith... Abraham, when called to go to a place he would later receive as his inheritance, obeyed and went, even though he did not know where he was going. By faith, he made his home in the promised land, like a stranger in a foreign country. He lived in tents, as did Isaac and Jacob, who were heirs with him of the same promise. For he was looking forward to the city with foundations whose architect and builder is God. And by faith, even Sarah who was past childbearing age, was enabled, was enabled to bear children because she considered him faithful who had made the promise. And so from this one man, and he as good as dead, came descendants as numerous as the stars in the sky and as countless as the sand on the seashore. Verse 13, all these people were still living by faith when they died. They did not receive the things promised. They only saw them and welcomed them from a distance, admitting that they were foreigners and strangers on earth. And down to verse 16. Instead, they were longing for a better country, a heavenly one. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared a city for them. This incredible story or account of Abraham and Sarah they only had the smallest little bit of evidence to show for this grand promise they were called by faith to believe. And yet they were faithful through incredible testing. And, and part of what this author of Hebrews is saying is it's because by faith they began to see beyond the immediate. 
You see, why we struggle so much with faith and the promises of God is we all want to see, I know I do, we all want to see the promises fulfilled now. I want the evidence now. I want to see you, God, working now. I want to see these things working out in my life now. I want all these promises to be made over. I want, and I want to see evidence of them now. And it's so hard when we don't. It's so hard to wait. It's so hard to have faith that God's view and God's plan might be so much bigger than ours. And yet, for some reason, Abraham and Sarah were able to believe God and believe that these promises were still true, even if they weren't going to see them in their lifetime. It's incredible. I can't even fathom that kind of faith, to be honest with you. I share the, huma- the, hu- the humanity that wants to see it quite differently. I want us to respond by, by focusing on that one verse, and it'll, it'll come up here from, from another translation, but it's Hebrews eleven thirteen. Read it again. It said this, all these people, meaning Abraham, Sarah, and, the, and many that were going to be on this list, all these people died still believing what God had promised them. They did not receive what was promised, but they saw it all from a distance and welcomed it. How do we respond that way? As we, as we come to our response time today, my, my heart's pretty heavy because this whole idea of promise, it, it's so amazing and yet it's so huge. It's so personal and yet it so impacts us as a congregation. A, a question I've asked myself this week that I want to ask all of you And I just ask you to have the courage to wrestle with it in your own spirit. What unfulfilled promises are bringing wounding, hurt, cynicism, or even anger to your life? What I want to call you to today, and I believe what the Spirit wants to call us to today, is to dig deep into that and to be willing to bring that to the foot of the cross, to bring it to Jesus, and to come to him and cry out for his mercy and grace to give you the gift of this kind of faith, to be able to face it and then walk through it. Now, when it comes to broken promises, for for some of you, this is very, very personal. For some of you, you've, you've prayed for healing for yourself, for someone close to you, for someone you love, and you've believed the scriptures that say that God has the power to supernaturally heal, and you've believed those scriptures, and you've claimed them, and you've prayed them, and yet you've seen a loved one not be healed. And it messes you up because that seems like a promise of God unkept. For some of you, there's people close in your life that have walked away from God, that you love deeply, and you pray for them all the time, and your heart breaks for them, and you claim the verses about Jesus being the one that leaves the 99 to find the one lost sheep. Some of you parents with prodigals pray over and over again the verse that train up your child in the way he should go, and when he's old, he will not depart. And yet you've been praying for years, and that person you love has still not come to Jesus and is still living in so much pain and brokenness in their life, and you're going, God, where's your promise? For some of you, you've had dreams. Dreams of where you thought God was going to use you. Dreams of how you thought your life was going to turn out. Dreams of 
of a career you thought that, that God wanted for you. Dreams of relationships that never turned out. That's deeply personal. And it deeply hurts. And your father God hurts for you too and says, yeah, you can come to me with all that pain and all that disappointment and all that doubt. You can bring it to me and I'll bear it. For some of you, this is deeply personal. And I know for some of you, broken promises is about the church. And not just our church, but the church. I know for some of you, you've, you've maybe dreamed of a ministry being released in the church. It's something that you're passionate about, that you've dreamed about, and you know God would want this ministry for the church, and yet it feels like all you ever get is resistance. All you ever get is roadblocks, and it seems like people don't care. I know for some of you, you've prayed and prayed for the release of God's gifts and the sp spiritual gifts to be poured out in the church. And yet it seems like there's obstacles and resistance and faithlessness and you just, just saying, God, where are you? I've met with so many prayer groups of faithful praying people who have been praying for years for revival. I know people who were a part of the revival here in Saskatoon back in the 70s that are still faithfully praying for revival to pour out. I remember living in different parts of the country where grand prophetic words would be given about how revival is going to start in this city or that city and how amazing things are going to happen and people are going to come to Christ by the thousands and supernatural healings and outpourings of the Spirit. And you've prayed for that and you've hoped for that and you've believed that. And yet so often the church still seems dead, stale. Where's the revival, God? For some of you that is extremely difficult. Does that mean revival's never coming? Does that mean God didn't make those promises? See, here's the problem. When these promises get really personal or really passionate for us, and they always do because we're human, what's so difficult is like everyone, we want to see those promises fulfilled now. We want to see evidence of those promises now. And wow, we get excited when we see a little bit. But can we have the faith like Abraham and Sarah? To say that if God spoke those promises, if those promises are true and on God's heart, we can still embrace them, believe them, and keep living them out by faith. So hard to do, but that's the call today. See, here's what we do in our humanness. When, 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 when a promise is broken, we have a bit of a dilemma because it's kind of like, okay, what do we do with this? So either the promise was wrong, so we can blame God, or I'm wrong because I messed up and I didn't hear right. Or people are wrong. And let's blame those uncommitted, unspiritual, whatever people, whatever we want to call them. They're the ones that are resisting what God's doing. We can blame people. Don't you see how probably none of that is the answer? You see, when God speaks a promise or when we believe a promise from Scripture or even a prophetic promise that has been spoken over our life or over the church, the problem often is, is that we put our own human ideas into what it's going to look like. God may have said this, we take what God said and we imagine and dream and believe and hope that it's going to look like this. And then when it doesn't, we're completely broken and devastated and then we're back to who do we blame then? It's got to be someone's fault. Maybe we heard God wrong. 
Can you think of how many times Abraham and Sarah probably thought, we probably heard God wrong, this can't be true, we don't have any evidence, how on earth did they have this kind of faith? I don't have this amazing answer for you other than the call of the Spirit for us to bring our brokenness and then for us to just lay our lives before Jesus again and say, we want this kind of faith. We want to keep hanging in there and keep believing no matter how much of the promise you show us now, but we're going to keep hanging in there and we're going to keep believing that these promises are true and that the word is true and it says that it's yes and amen with our God. We're going to ask our worship team to come. We're actually going to sing a song together now called Yes and Amen. It's a new song for, for most of us but a song that I believe the Spirit can speak through today to help us as we wrestle. Now, the bridge of this song, we sing these words. I will rest in your promises. My confidence is in your faithfulness. I will rest in your promises, O God. My confidence is in your faithfulness. Here's what I believe the Spirit is challenging us to do today. We have to lay down the confidence in our interpretation of the promise, our hope in the, of the promise, and we have to re-put our confidence in the faithfulness of God. The promise is still true no matter how we do or don't experience it. I know my, my dear sisters and brothers, I don't want in any way negate the pain and even the anger that comes from struggling through promises that seem so far away. I just pray over you that you can bring those to Jesus today. Lay them down and ask for this kind of faith to keep believing in a faithful God. He wants to continue to be your friend and to be with you through the journey. Let's pray. Lord, that's our prayer. Oh, Lord, I pray, Holy Spirit, that you would just move through this room and give us the courage to lay down the pain, the disappointment, the anger, the frustration. Lord, take it from us, we pray. And I pray, Holy Spirit, that you would pour out mercy and grace and hope. And Lord, I pray, Holy Spirit, that you would move in this room as we respond to you today and give us a faith in your faithfulness, a rest in your promise. God, only you can do this miracle in our lives. And I just pray the release of your power now in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Let's respond together. This, they're going to play the, the song, um, just the first verse and course through. I just encourage you to just meditate in your spirit and listen to the songs, and then we'll respond together.